0: Welcome to the podcast called The Man of God Network, a ministry of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary in Owensboro, Kentucky. This is the voice of the narrated Puritan. The following chapters are taken from a book, A Child of Light, Walking in Darkness, by the Puritan Thomas Goodwin, 1600-1680. This work came out in the year 1636, comprising of sermons that he preached when he was just 28, eight years earlier. For a number of years, it became a popular standard of the subject in which it treats and that it's taken from Isaiah 50, verse 10. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord, and stay upon his God. A Child of Light Walking in Darkness by Thomas Goodwin Or a treatise showing the causes by which, the cases in which, and the ends for which God leaves the children to distress of conscience, together with directions how to walk so as to come forth of such a condition, with other observations upon Isaiah 50 verses 10 and 11, when he hides his face, who can behold him? Job 34 verse 29 To the reader, that which drew these sermons from me next to your good was to write myself. They were first preached eight years since, and some notes of them were to say no more dispersed into the hands of many to my prejudice. Dear here presented as they were preached, with little alteration or addition in method, style, and manner, only to make up the treatise more complete. I entirely added against the publishing of it, that whole discourse about Satan's part and hand in these desertions, beginning in a chapter 6, in handling this subject, to which I trust I have not at all incurred that severe incropation of the apostle against curious speculations about angels of intruding into those things which I have not seen ground and warrant for in the word. sure I have endeavored to follow the school and their labyrinths herein. No further than I found a clue of scripture and a right reason clearly guiding and warranting my way, without which I count the ways of this old winding serpent. In his communications to us, to be as Solomon speaks, like the way of a serpent upon a stone, hidden in past tracing or finding out, And lest any of the weaker readers, especially those in distress to whom more speculative and doctrinal discourses about things practical prove usually tedious and unpleasing, should in reading that piece be discouraged at the first, my defense is that if they find that part of the way craggy or tiresome, which I hope they will not, they would divert out of it. And come in again at chapter eleven. From that point to the end, they shall find what is more accommodate to their understanding and conditions, and more practically speaking to their distress. The blessing of heaven go with it. Thomas Goodwin, Chapter One: The First the Main Observation. Did a child of God may walk in darkness? The main proposition and subject of this discourse thence deduced. Did a child of God may walk in darkness? that by this distress of conscience and desertion and a lack of assurance of justification is meant and proved. This, to be the meaning of the words were more fully appear in opening to several propositions to be delivered out of them, in which the first and principle intended is this, that one who truly fears God and is obedient to him may be in a condition of darkness and have no light, and he may walk many days and years in that condition. And in this, further to explain the text, lay a foundation well upon this point, and more particularly to discover what the condition of a child to God, thus in darkness, is, we will first inquire what is meant by walking in darkness here in this place. First, walking in darkness is taken in First John one verse six for living in sin and ungodliness, in the commission of known sins or omission of known duties. Going on in the works of darkness, but so it is not to be taken here, for Christ would not have encouraged such to trust in God who is light, and there can be no fellowship between Him and such darkness, as the apostle tells us. Nay, the Holy Ghost reproves such as do lean on the Lord and yet transgress, Micah three verse eleven. And besides, the text speaks of such who, for their present condition, fear God and are obedient to Him. Which if they thus walked in darkness, they could not be said to do. Neither, secondly, is it to be meant to walk in an ignorance. As in John 12, verse 35, it is taken. For one that has no light in that sense can never truly for God nor obey him. The heart that lacks knowledge is not good. So says Solomon in Proverbs 19, verse 2. And so to walk in darkness is accompanied with walking in the vanity of the mind ephesians four seventeen, 17 but thirdly he means of it discomfiture and sorrow as often we find in scripture darkness to be taken as in ecclesiastes 5 verse 17 it's on the contrary light because it is so pleasant a thing to behold is put for comfort ecclesiastes 11 verse 7 and that this is the meaning here is evident by that which is opposed in the next verse walk you in your light, yet you shall lie down in sorrow. But fourthly, of what kind of sorrow? And for what? Whether from outward afflictions or inward distress of mind and conscience, or to use Solomon's distinction, whether by reason a man's ordinary infirmities or of a wounded spirit, that is yet in question. First, it is not to be restrained to outward afflictions only, which are called man's infirmities. Is being common a man, which arise from things of this world, or from the men of the world. Though to walk in darkness is so taken in Isaiah 59 verse 9, and I will not exclude it here. For in them also a man's best support is to trust in God, and it is the safest way to interpret scriptures in the larger sense which the words and coherence will bear. But yet that cannot be the only or principal meaning of it for besides what is further to be said to the contrary, he adds with that, it has no light, that is no comfort. Now as philosophers say, there is no pure darkness without some mixture of light. So we may say there is not mere or utter darkness caused by outward afflictions. No outward affliction can so universally environ the mind as to shut up all the crannies of it so that a man should have no light. And besides, God's people, when they walk in the greatest outward darkness, may have, yea, often used to have most light in their spirits. But here is such a state spoken of, such a darkness, as has no light in it. Therefore, secondly, it is principally to be understood of the lack of inward comfort in their spirits. From something that is between God and them, and so meant of that darkness and tears which accompany the lack of the sense of God's favor. And so, darkness is elsewhere taken for inward affliction of spirit and mind, and lack of light, in point of assurance that God is a man's God, and of the pardon of a man's sin. So, Psalm 88, verse 6, Heman uses this word to express his distress. And the reasons why it is thus to be understood here are first, because a remedy here prescribed is faith, to stay himself upon God, and that is upon His God. He puts in His God emphatically, because that is a point he is troubled about, and concerning which he is in darkness, and of which he would have such a one to be persuaded. In this it is which faith, which is propounded here, is a remedy does in the first place and principally look to as his primary aim and object. Secondly, in the foregoing verses he had spoken of justification in which God pardons our sins and accepts our persons. The prophet, or Christ, in the person of his elect, say some, have expressed his assurance of this. God is near that justifies me. Who shall condemn? Which words the apostle in Romans 8 verse 32 and 33 alleges in the point of justification and to express a triumphing assurance of it and applies them in the name and person of true believers as well. But because there might be some poor souls who though truly fearing God may yet lack this assurance and upon a hearing of this might be the more troubled because not able to express that confidence which he did, therefore he adds, Who is among you? that fears the Lord, and walks in darkness and so on, as if he should have said to such, though you lack the comfortable sense and assurance of this, yet be not discouraged, but do you exercise faith, go out of yourselves, rely upon Christ and that mercy which is to be found in God. You may fear God and lack it, and you are to trust in God, in the want of it thirdly. These words have a relation also to the fourth verse, where he says as that God had given him this assurance of his own justification for his own particular comfort in those immediately foregoing verses to the text. So there, that God had also given him the tongue of the learned to minister a word of comfort and season to him that is weary and heavy laden. And upon this, in this verse, he accordingly shows the blessed condition of such persons is our most weary through long walking in darkness, and with it he discovers to them the way of getting out of this darkness and recovering comfort again. And in all the word of God there is not a more comfortable and seasonable word to one in such a condition to be found. All which argues it is spoken of inward darkness and trouble of spirit, and that in point of applying justification and God to be a man's God. Chapter two the two phrases walking in darkness having no light the particulars of the distress contained in these two phrases walking in darkness having no light the second thing to be inquired into what is the condition of such a one who is thus in darkness and has no light which I will so far discover as the phrases used here will give light into. By the help of other scriptures, first, he is said to have no light. Light, the Apostle says in Ephesians 5 verse 13, is that in which things are made manifest. That is, to the sense of sight, to which light properly belongs. And as light and faith are here combined, as you see, so sight also is in Second Corinthians 5 verse 7. Distinguished from faith which is the evidence of things absent and not seen. Hebrews 11 verse 1, When therefore, here he says he has no light, the meaning is he lacks all present sensible testimonies of God's favor to him. He sees nothing that may give sensible present witness of it to him. God's favor, in his own graces, and all the sensible tokens and evidences of it, which are apprehended by spiritual sight, or become all as absent things, as if they were not, or never had been, that light which ordinarily discovers these as present he is clean, deprived of. To understand this, we must know that God, to help our faith, which, as I said before, is distinguished from sight, as we now speak of it, vouchsafes a threefold light to his people, to add assurance and joy to their faith which is to faith as a back of steel to a bow, to strengthen it, and made to be taken off or put on to it, at God's good pleasure. First, the immediate light of his countenance, which is a clear evident beam and revelation of God's favor, immediately testifying that we are his, which is called the sealing of the spirit received after believing Ephesians 1 verse 13, which David desired and rejoiced in more than in all worldly things. Psalm 4 verse 6, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance, in which more or less than some glimpses of it, some of God's people have the privilege to walk with joy from day to day. Psalm 89 verse 15, they shall walk in the light of your countenance, in your name shall they rejoice all day. And this is here utterly withdrawn. And it may thus come to pass that the soul in regard of any sense or sight of this may be left in that case that Saul really was left in in 1 Samuel 28 verse 15. God has departed from me and does not answer me neither by prophets nor by dreams though with this difference that God was really departed from Saul but to these but only in their apprehensions yet so far as for aught they can see of him, God is departed clean from them. Answers them neither by prayer, nor by word, nor by conference. They cannot get one good luck from him. Such was Jonah's case, chapter 2, verse 4. I am cast out of your sight. That is, he could not get a sight of him. Not one smile, not one glance or cast of his countenance not a beam of comfort, and so thought himself cast out. So he dealt with David often, and sometimes a long time together. Psalm 13 verse 1, how long will you hide your face from me? And Psalm 89 verse 46, how long? And so on, even so long as David puts God in remembrance, and pleads how short a time in all he had to live and complains how in much of that time his face had been hid from him. Verse 47. And alike was Heman's case, and is also long, even from his youth up. Psalm 88 verses 14 and 15. So from Job, chapter 13, verse 24. Yea, and from Christ himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But... Concerning this, you will ask, how can this dealing of His stand with his everlasting love? Continue notwithstanding to the soul that he should so deal with the ones he loves, but especially how it may stand with the real influence of his grace, powerfully enabling the soul all that while to go on to fear and obey him. For the first, it may stand with his everlasting love, and God may be its God still. As the text tells us, so Isaiah 54, 8, For a moment I have hid my face, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on you. It is but hiding his face and concealing his love. As David concealed his love from Absalom when his bowels yearned towards him. And God takes the liberty that other fathers have to shut his children out of his presence when he is angry and it is but for a moment, that is in comparison of eternity, though happily it should be thus with him during a man's whole life, and he therefore takes liberty to do it, because he has such an eternity of time to reveal his kindness in, time enough for kisses and embraces and to pour forth his love in, and for the second, the real gracious influence and effects of his favor may be continued, upholding, Strengthening, and carrying on a soul still to obey and fear him, while he yet conceals his favor. For when Christ complained, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When as great an eclipse and regard of the light of God's countenance was upon his spirit as was upon the earth, yet he never more obeyed God, was never stronger supported than at that time, for then he was obeying to the death like as we see that when the sun is eclipsed. Though the earth lacks the light of it, yet not the influence of it, for the metals which are engendered in the bottom of the earth are concocted by the sun, so as though the light of the sun does not come to them, yet the influence and in virtue of it does, and alters and changes them, so does God's favor visit men's hearts in the power, heat, and vigorous influence of its grace even though the light and comfort of it does not. Number two, the second light which God vouchsafes his people ordinarily to help and eke out their faith is a sight and comfort of their own graces, to which so many promises belong, as of their love to his people, fear of his name, desire to obey him, so that often when the sun is set, yet starlight appears. That is, though that other, the immediate presence and evidence of his favor shines not on the soul, yet his graces in this appear as tokens of that love, as a soul knows that there is a sun still that gives light to these stars, though it does not see it, as in the night we know that there is a sun in another horizon, because the stars we see have their light from it, and we are sure that, will rise again to us. Now a soul that has true grace in it, and goes on to obey God, may also lack light to see these his graces, and look upon his own heart as empty of all. And as they in the storm, Acts 27 verse 20, so he in temptation may come to have neither sunlight nor starlight, no light is in the text. Thus, Isaiah 63 verse 17, the church there complains that God had hardened them from his fear. They were afraid, filling their hearts so hard that the fear of God was lacking, which yet was there, for they complain of the lack of it. But yet, thirdly, though he lacked the present light of God's countenance and a sight of present grace, yet he may have a comfortable remembrance of what once was before he had still left and so long as not utterly left in darkness. Therefore further know that the state of one that fears God and obey him may be such as he may have no comfortable light, or remembrance of what grace and so on formerly he did have. Second Peter 1 verse 9 One that has true grace in him only lacks the exercise of it. For I take it that place is to be understood of a regenerate man, because he was purged from sin, and is now said to lack grace, because he does not use it. For a man is said not to have that which he does not use when he ought to use it, especially in things whose worth lies wholly in the use and employment of them. It is the same as if he did not have it. Now such a man may fall into such a blindness that he cannot see afar off, and so forgets his former assurance that he was purged from his old sins. Yea, it may be calls all into question. Thus David in Psalm 30, verses 6 and 7. Though his heart was, but even now, a little before, full of joy and assurance of God's favor. Yet God did but hide his face, and all was gone. I was troubled, he says. He was thus blind and could not see what was, but a little past him, as it is with men in a mist. And the reason of these two last assertions is as evident as the experience of them, for graces in a shine, but with a borrowed light, as the stars do, with a light borrowed from the sun, so that unless God will shine secretly and give light to our graces and irradiate them, our graces will not appear to comfort us, nor be at all the witness of God's favor to assure us. For our spirit, that is, our graces, never witness alone. But if God's spirit joins not in testimony to them, it is silent. The spirit of God witnesses with our spirits in Romans 8 verse 16. Now therefore, when God has withdrawn his testimony, then the testimony of our hearts and of our own graces has no force in it. But you will say, can a man have the exercise of grace and not know it? Fear God and not know it, and not discern it? Yes, and some graces may then be as much exercise in the heart as at any other time. He may fear God as truly, and as much as ever, and yet his fear have no light in it to discover itself to him. It may be in the heart. It may have a being and a work in there when not in your apprehension of it the reason is because as the influence of god's favor may be really in the heart when the sense sight and light of it is withdrawn as was said before so the power of grace may in like manner be in the heart when the light and comfort of it is lacking and although it is true that every man having the power of reflecting upon his own actions can discern what thoughts are in him and what affections and can tell for the manner of them what are you thinking about, what he is putting his trust in, and that he is grieved, and so on, but yet so as he may still question whether those thoughts be acts of true and unfeigned faith, and whether those affections of sorrow for sin, and so on, be sanctified affections, holy and genuine, and spiritual affections, and the reason of the difference is because though the natural spirit which is in a man knows the things of a man, and so on, as the Apostle has it in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 11. That is, his own thoughts, understanding them physically as their acts of a man. Yet, what is the true goodness of them morally in discerning this? The spirit of a man is deceitful and cannot know it, Jeremiah 17 verse 9, without the supernatural light of the spirit of God, who as he is the giver and actor of that grace in us, so is given of God that we might know the things which are given us of God. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12 Light is sown for the righteous, and joy for the uprights, says the psalmist. Grace, and the exercise of it is the seed which they continually scatter, but light and joy is the crop that is to be reaped. The seed often lies hid long, though it will come up in the end. Thus, lighter joy may be severed from grace, and the comfort of it from the power of it. Secondly, let us further consider the other phrase, and what is intimated by it to be his condition, when, as it is said, he walks in darkness. First, to walk in darkness implies to be in doubt, where you are going. So John 12, verse 35, he that walks in darkness does not know where he goes and thus the soul of one that fears God may be filled with doubts, whether God will ever be merciful to him, yea or no, and not know what God means to do with him, whether he shall go to heaven or hell. Psalm 77 verses 7 and 9. Will the Lord be merciful? And this is spoken with doubt. For in verse 10 he says, just as his infirmity to call this into question, So Haman in Psalm 88, verses 5, 6, 11, and 12, he thought himself as one that was in hell, free among the dead. That is, as one admitted free into the company of them there, verses 5, free of that company as he used to say, and of the number of those whom God no more remembered. In such darkness was he, verse 6, and to raise them out of that condition was a thing they doubted God would ever do. Verses 10-12, to Will you show wonders to the dead? Show your wonders to be declared in the grave. That is, did God ever show mercy to one that was in the same state? Did they in hell or in? Which is my state now? Yea, so as to be out of hope. So Lamentation 3, verse 18, My hope has perished from the Lord. Secondly, those in darkness are apt to stumble at everything. So Isaiah 59, verse 10, One effect of darkness mentioned there is to stumble at noonday, to take a soul that is left in darkness, and it will stumble at all it hears out of the word, either in conference or its sermons, all it reads, all promises it meets with. It is more discouraged by them, or think they that there should be such glorious promises, but they do not belong to us. Such a one misapplies and misinterprets all God's dealings and the scriptures against himself and refuses comfort. It's Psalm 77 verse 2. Yea, and as it is, it's a third verse. And when he remembers God, he is troubled. Thirdly, darkness is exceeding terrible and full of horror. When children are in the dark, they think they see fearful sights it is therefore called the horror of darkness, Genesis 15, verse 12. So a soul here may be filled with fears and terrors from God's wrath, and of being God's enemy to him. Haman was almost distracted out of its wits with terrors. Psalm 88, verse 15. So the church thought in Lamentation 3, yea, and concluded it was for certain that God was her enemy. Surely he is turned against me, verse 3. Chapter 3. The Efficient Causes of This Distress First, the Holy Spirit, whether he has any hand in this, and if so, how far? Heaven thus explain and prove this, that this does and may befall one who truly fears the Lord. For the more clear enough of it, I will further show one, the efficient causes of it, two, the cases wherein, three, the ends for which God leaves his children in such distresses. For the efficient causes of this so woeful, desperate, dark condition of God's child, there are three which have a hand in it. One, God's spirit. Two, a man's own guilty and fearful heart. Three, Satan. For God's spirit, although he has a hand in some part of this disquietness, Yet we must take heed how we put upon him any of those doubts and desperate fears, and conclusions in which a child of God calls a state into question, for the spirit is not the direct efficient or positive cause of them. And to this end we may consider that known place in Romans 8 verse 15. You have not received a spirit of bondage to fear again, but the spirit of adoption, the right understanding of which will also prevent an objection. For some have alleged his place as if the child of God, after he had once a spirit, still in adoption to him could never after fall into apprehension of bondage, that is, in the fears of eternal damnation, any more, or of being bound over for hell, and this can befall him but once, and that is his first conversion. But, if we mark the words well, The apostle doesn't affirm that fears of bondage can never befall God's child again, but his scope is to show that the spirit which we have received, having been once become the spirit of adoption, that spirit is never after again a spirit of bondage to us, nor the cause of such fears. Indeed, at first conversion, and before he did witness adoption, he then revealed our state to us to be a state of bondage, which he then does in love and drives us out of it, and then indeed he was the spirit of bondage to which he has reference when he says, to fear again, because he was once such to them, and such the Holy Ghost then might be, and then witness to them that their estates were damnable, for then it was the truth, and that they had lived in a state of bondage, in which damnation was immediately due it, and had they died in it, had certainly fallen upon them, but one once, by making a man a son, he has become the spirit of adoption to him. Then, if ever he should put him into such apprehensions and fears again, he should witness an untruth. Therefore, to comfort of them and all believers, he tells them that he never crosses nor reverses his testimony of adoption, but his office is to be ready as a witness to seal to it. But yet, though the judge does not condemn any more. Yet the jailer may trouble and affright us, and our own hearts may condemn us first John three verse twenty one. God may allow Satan leave to cast us into prison, to clap bolts upon us again, and to become a lying spirit abonished to us, as he became a lying spirit in the mouth of Ahab's prophets, and he may give up our hearts to be fettered with the cords of our own sins. Proverbs five verse twenty two and to be ensnared with its own inventions and fears and jealousies, for a more distinct understanding of this, to manifest how it comes to pass that all this befalls God's children, I wish show how far the Holy Ghost proceeds in it, and puts forth his hand towards it, and what Satan's work is, where he strikes in, in our own hearts, to work further and deeper distress than the Holy Ghost by himself alone intended. For to these three several heads is the whole to be ascribed, and the work of God's Spirit and his concurrence in them, careful, obedience severed from Satan's light from darkness at the first. Thus far, then, the Spirit of God may concur in this darkness that befalls his child, one, primitively, he may suspend his testimony in the execution of his office of witnessing adoption, he may withdraw his comfortable presence and hide himself for a moment and conceal his love, as other fathers will sometimes do, as David did, when yet his heart was towards Absalom. He may not admit him to see his face. He may shut a son out of doors, when yet he does not cast him off. He may retain her sins as Christ's expression is in John 20 verse 23, that is, call in a patent of his pardon which he had passed under his hand and seal, in earth, that is, in their own consciences, take it out of their hands in custody and call for it, again into the pardon office in heaven. Matthew 18, verse 18, And there keep it. And also when Satan comes and gives in a false witness and evidence, and our own hearts upon it likewise condemn us, the Holy Ghost may stand by as it were, Silent, and say nothing to the contrary, but forbear to contradict Satan by any loud testimony, or secret rebuking him, as he does at other times, as in Zechariah 3, verses 1 and 2. Number 2. Positively, he may further proceed to reveal and represent God as angry with the child for such and such sins formerly committed, and make him sensible of them, not barely by concealing his love, but by making impressions of his wrath upon his conscience immediately, and not by outward crosses only. Thus, in Isaiah 57 verses 17 and 18, God not only hid himself and was wroth, that is, expressed his wrath by hiding himself, but I smote him and was wroth. In verse 16, he contended and was wroth, that is, fought against him as an enemy, as in Isaiah sixty three verse ten, and this with his wrath upon his spirit, for it follows that the spirit was ready to fail, and a soul which he had made, but was with a human spirit which was what God shot at and wounded, and they be deep that it was ready to fail and come to nothing, which Solomon calls by way of distinction a wounded spirit which who can bear. Indifference is it from all other affliction upon the outward man, which strike the spirit, but through the clothes of the body immediately, for he says the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, that is, all such outward afflictions in which it suffers, but by way of sympathy and compassion. But when the spirit himself is laid bare and naked, and wounded immediately by God's wrath, which only can reach it and wound it, who can bear this? Thus, towards him, and God did not only hide his face from him. Verse 14 of Psalm 88, But his fierce wrath went over him. And thy tears, he says, have cut me off. Verse 16, Not only wounded him, but even cut him off. Such impressions of immediate wrath as the expression and effects of God's anger the Holy Ghost may make upon the spirit of his child. For it is the truth that God is angry and wroth with them when they sin, which anger he may make known, not only by dumb signs and inward crosses and effects, but by an immediate witnessing and plain and express, speaking so much to their consciences and making them to feel so much, by scalding drops of his hot displeasure, let fall thereon, and his other fathers show their anger by whipping the bodies of their children Upon this ground, it says the apostle, because are the father is of our flesh. Hebrews 12 verse 9. So for the like reason may God show his anger and chastise his children by lashing their spirits. For he is the father of our spirits, as he speaks in the same place. And likewise our spirits and the very bones and marrow of them lie open and naked to him with whom we have to do and his word and spirit being quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword are able to divide and cut even to the bones and marrow, as the same author speaks in Hebrews 4 verses 12 and 13. Yet, with that, so as when he expresses his wrath thus upon their consciences, he does not witness that this is an eternal wrath which he has conceived against them, for it is but a temporary displeasure, it is but for a moment. As Isaiah speaks the indignation of a father, nor is it a wrath which revenging justice has stirred in him, but fatherly affection, Hebrews 12 verse 6. And though the Spirit tells them that God is displeased, yet never that they are cursed, dead is a false collection made out of it, yet. Number two, the Holy Ghost may proceed yet further in this so far as to bring forth and show him and shake over him the rod of his eternal wrath, especially when he has provoked Christ by presumptuous sins already, and to prevent its going on forwardly in the way of his heart, and this, both by presenting to them and setting on all those threatenings, which do hypothetically and conditionally threaten even to believers eternal damnation, such as that which we find in Romans 7 verse 13, You live after the flesh. You, even you believers, shall die. For there is a truth in all such threatenings, so conditionally propounded, which reaches God's dearest children under a condition and with relation to going on in sin, to stop him and prevent him in which he, when he is going on forwardly in the way of his heart, the Holy Spirit may bring home such threatenings to him, with respect to such a course as he is entering into, and accordingly stir up the fear of that damnation thus threatened, if he should go on in those sins he has begun to commit, but to apply threatening of eternal damnation simply to his person, is that he shall die eternally, this the Holy Ghost does not speak to the heart of a believer, when he is a believer, and again also, the Holy Ghost may represent to him, and mind him of all those examples of men in whom for their going on in sin. His soul has had no pleasure. Hebrews 10 verse 39 and of God's dealing with them, as how he swear against many of the Israelites for their provocations of him, that they should never enter into his rest, and how he rejected Esau for the despisal of his birthright, and all this with this end in mind. To startle and awaken him, and with this intimation, that for such and such sins God might in like manner deal with him. For these and the like examples the Spirit of God sets before the believing Hebrews, Hebrews 3 verse 12, and the believing Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10 verses 5 to 13, To keep them fearful to offend him but to apply any such examples absolutely to them so as to say thus God intends to do with you for such and such sins, and a God will never be merciful This the Holy Ghost does not speak to a believer's heart.